Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Samantha Taylor is a speech-language pathologist in Rochester, New York, and owner of Olive Speech Therapy. She discovered the profession when her son, who is deaf, started receiving speech therapy services. She decided to become a speech-language pathologist herself and then worked in another private practice and then the schools. Flash forward to January of 2021 when she told her husband that she didn't want to go back to working in the schools, and so she signed up for the Start Your Private Practice program to help her get her ducks in a row and learn how to find clients. Two things that are very important to Samantha are death advocacy and self-care, and she's built a private practice to allow her to have time for both and still earn a great income for her family. If you've been thinking about starting a private practice so that you have more time for your family and for yourself, this is a must-listen episode, so stay tuned. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice system. And I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay, it's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life and finally get the freedom, flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place, so let's get started. All right, so before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Absolutely. So my name is Samantha Taylor, and I'm in Rochester, New York, and my private practice is Olive Speech Therapy. Ah, and I love the name of your practice, by the way. And I, at some point in this, we got to get into how you decided to name your practice. But before we get there, can you take our listeners back to the beginning of your journey as a speech pathologist and then also kind of share when did you start thinking about private practice? Absolutely. So my original dream was to be a journalist. I was obsessed with how to lose a guy in 10 days, and I wanted to be Andy. But my junior year of college, I had a little surprise, my son. <laughs> so I got pregnant while I was in college, graduated, and realized that the journalism field wasn't quite exactly going to work for a new mom who didn't want to relocate to a big city. So I had my son. When he was about four months old, we realized that he was deaf. So living in Rochester, obviously, well, I don't know if it's obvious, but this is one of the largest deaf populations in the entire United States. So it's been very 
divine that we live here and he was born here. But with that being said, I was a 20-year-old parent that was terrified of being a new mom, didn't know what to do with my life. So I took some time to try to figure that out. When my son was about six months old, he started with a speech pathologist. She came to our house and I was like, what is this? I love this. I need to know more about this. So participating in his early intervention sessions, I learned more and more about it. And I was like, I want to do this. So I started Googling, tried to figure out, like, can I do this? And then I decided, nope, I'm going to do this no matter what. So I enrolled in grad school. And yeah, I had to do extra year just for catch up. But then I graduated and that kind of started the next phase of my life. I love that. You know, you always hear about that, right? People who are, we're all, I think, come to this field for some reason, right? You're touched by either a family member or a friend or a, you know, friend of the family or somebody kind of introduces you to this profession. And, you know, my, my wife is an early intervention physical therapist. And she often talks about how, you know, parents who have been through EI with their own children all of a sudden are interested in, you know, therapeutic fields. And so that's cool that that was part of your journey. So you went to grad school, kind of starting out. What were your first job or jobs like? So actually, my very first job, my CF was with my son's provider. She had started her own private practice. And she needed employees, obviously, and I needed someone to supervise my CF. So it worked out perfectly. So I worked with her doing early intervention and preschool services for about, oh gosh, six years. And then we had our second son, took some time off with him. Then I transitioned into the school district. And then I can share more about because that's where my kind of love of or dream of private practice came in. Yeah, that would be fantastic because it's kind of cool that you got like a taste of private practice, right, as like part of your CF, right? But then you went to work in the schools. And then at what point during like working at the schools did you start kind of rethinking about private practice? Absolutely. So the reason I had transitioned from working with my son's provider to the schools is because we needed stability. My husband had worked to put me through grad school. So then it was kind of my turn. With us being young, young parents, we had to kind of do things a little differently. So I needed the stability, the insurance, the consistent hours, things like that. So I worked for the school district. And during that time, I would say, I think it was my second year in there, COVID hit. And that changed how everything looked. It was really tough doing the like remote therapy with the students. And it was just chaos to begin with. But it was during that time, actually, it was January of 2021. My family was hit with COVID. We were very fortunate. We were asymptomatic, but we had to obviously quarantine. And during that time, I told my husband, I'm like, I don't want to go back. I cannot go back. And he's like, well, kind of have to. I have to finish up college. But then like, you have this year. <laughs> we'll figure things out. But you use this year to figure things out. But he was great. He fully supported me. And during those two weeks is when I discovered you, actually, through my Google search. And that's when I started listening to your podcast. That's awesome. Well, I love that you, you know, well, I don't love that you decided that you had to, you know, stop working in the schools, right? But it's a very common thing. And especially during COVID, I think all of us have had you know, an opportunity to kind of take a step back and say, you know, what am I willing 
to do? What do I want to do with my life? You know, what do I need? What does my family need? And start to kind of make some other decisions, right? And so I'm I'm glad that you talked to your, you know, your husband about it. And then it sounds like he was pretty supportive. And I'm glad you mm-hmm. found me. Right. So so what happened next? So basically during I'm that type of person. I jump in feet first. I figure things out as I go along. My husband's really great at grounding me. So we work out really well together. So I told him that, like like I said, I told him I didn't want to go back to work. He's like, obviously, you have to. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make myself a website. So I spent my quarantine making a website because I remember hearing something about like the SEO and getting your like website live and all that stuff. So I'm like, even though I'm not able to transition full time to this yet, I at least will have that up and running and then maybe a random person or two will trickle in. So that's kind of what I did. I just built my website and I figured things out as I went along. I had a couple of people kind of stumble upon me and with them, I kind of figured out the documentation and the rate and things like that. Ideally, I probably would have had that figured out beforehand. But like I said, I jump in feet first and I'm like, we'll figure this out. Yeah, totally. Well, I love that. And what you said is true about the website, right? Like websites take a little while to, you know, be searchable, right? And so a lot of times people get nervous, like, oh gosh, what if I launch my website and like, I'm not ready for clients yet. And I always say like, it's okay because you're going to hit that like launch button or whatever. And it's still going to take like a couple weeks to even like a couple months for the Google spiders or bots or whatever to crawl your site, right? So in that time period between when you were like not quite ready to see clients, but you want to see them in a couple months, working on your website is a perfect thing to be doing because it's, you know, it's active, right? Like you're doing something, but you're just not going to see those results just from a little bit. But it sounds like then people started to find you, right? Absolutely. So I would say probably about three or four months after I launched my website, I had a couple of families find me. And up here in New York State, the early intervention wait list, unfortunately, is a little crazy. So there some children end up aging out before they ever receive services. So I was able to kind of fill that gap for a little bit. So I was able to get a couple of clients that unfortunately were on that wait list and work with them while still working at my school job full time. So it's nice. I love that because then remember how earlier you used that word stability, right? That you needed some stability. And so that's definitely one of the things. And, you know, listeners, I know that you've heard me say this, but seeing a couple clients on the side of your job allows you to have that stability from your job, right? You keep your full-time income or if you're part-time, part-time income, but, you know, you keep your benefits and whatnot, and then you start to build your caseload on the side. So it sounds like that's what you did. So how did that work out for you? That worked out really well. And actually, one of my good friends is a pediatrician, and she opened up her practice probably about a decade ago, and it's been expanding rapidly. So she bought the suite next door and had these office spaces. And I'm like, please save one for me. So she did. So I ended up renting a space from her, and I actually still rent that space. And I'm able to see clients right there. And it was perfect because it's a very child-friendly area. I have a play cafe on one side. I have a pediatrician on the other. There's lots of parks. So it was really nice. The families felt comfortable to come to see me. And yeah, so that's what I kind of did while I was working for the schools. And then I left that position 
actually just this past June is when I transitioned to this full time. Nice. So when I'm trying to remember the math, it was January of 2021, right? That you told your husband, like, I'm done, right? And so by June of 2022, that would have been that you were done, right? That was the last Mm -hmm. time in the school and you then transitioned to your own full-time private practice. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And it worked out perfectly because he had graduated college May of 2022. So I knew I was going to finish out the school year and did that and then transitioned full-time to my private practice. And one of the big things, so obviously having a private practice has all of these amazing benefits to it. But another big thing that was important to me is that advocacy. So with my son, he's now, he's going to be 14 actually in about two weeks. But with kind of going through everything with him, even though this is such a great area for deaf individuals, there's still a lot of gaps. And so going through all this with him, I was able to see some of those gaps. And so I wanted to have time to kind of dedicate to that too. And having this private practice, I'm able to schedule in time to focus on that and to help develop that for not only my son, but other individuals too. So that's super cool. So, I mean, you've said two great things. And one is just your schedule, right? Being able to completely be in control of your schedule so that if you need to go to a meeting for your son, right? Or, you know, or for your other son, right? Like if you need to be able to do those kind of things or, you know, take Fridays off or not start until a particular time or whatever, you're able to do that. But I love what you said about the advocacy piece, because I think that a lot of SLPs in particular are really wanting more than that, right? They see so many of their students, especially in the school system, who aren't getting the services that they need. And like, maybe they're not allowed to say anything about it or whatever, right? But they feel super guilty inside. So now that you're like on the other side and you're a private practitioner, can you share like maybe how you're helping families navigate that piece? Absolutely. So it is tricky when you're working for the school because the district I was in, they always wanted to keep everything in-house. And we have all of these amazing resources or schools or educational programs that are outside of the district, but they always wanted to try to handle things in-house first. So we weren't able to suggest those or recommend those. So I was always that SLP that would low-key kind of say to the parents like, no, I don't know. I should check this out. But now being on the other side of it, I can explicitly state like this would be a really great resource for your child. So up here, we have a phenomenal school for the deaf that when I was working for the school district, I wasn't able to explicitly talk about. Whereas now I'm like, I will give you all the information. I will make phone calls for you. I will use my son. He's such an outgoing individual. He will talk to you about all the wonderful things about it. So it's nice. We're able to actually have open conversations with people. And again, that's, I think, what a lot of SLPs are missing and feeling like, you know, when they're working in the schools, that there's just a lot of limitations, right? And whether it's limitations on what you can say to families or advice you can give, if it's limitations on your schedule or on, you know, any number of other things, right? I think one of the things that's really happening, that there's this major shift toward so many people pursuing private practice because they want to be thinking outside of the box and working outside of the box, right? And not have other people dictating what they can and can't do. Instead, they want to make decisions that serve like them, right? The private practitioners and also the families that they serve. So I'm so excited for you that you've been able to make this transition 
And it sounds like your location is incredible. So that's great that you had that connection with your pediatrician friend. So so tell our listeners, you know, what is a kind of typical day or typical week like for you in your practice right now? Absolutely. So I really appreciate my like self-care. <laughs> so I have two boys. They're phenomenal. But working a typical Monday through Friday job doesn't allow that self-care time. So I'm actually, I only work really Tuesdays through Thursdays and it's phenomenal. I take Mondays off and I might catch up on some documentation or billing, things like that. But for the most part, Mondays, usually I'm doing a massage or a facial or having lunch with friends. It's really nice. But my Tuesdays through Thursdays are pretty full. So I will see clients pretty much from about nine in the morning until about six or seven at night with like a... I give myself like an hour and a half lunch, but then I'm the type, I don't mind doing my session notes or things like that late at night with a TV show on in the background. So yeah, I pretty much just cram my Tuesday through Thursdays and keep my Mondays and Fridays for whatever. I love that. And I I know so many listeners are like, oh my gosh, like that's exactly what I want, right? When you were talking about, you know, like self-care Monday, right? Or like my day Monday or whatever, right? I think that we are just craving that, right? Like people need to be able to just slow down a little bit. And whether it's, you know, get a massage or, you know, go to Target and spend an extra long time there, like getting lost, whatever. It's just so necessary for us who have been working so hard for years for someone else to just have that control to be able to just slow down a little bit and say, you know, what do I need to be able to stay in this profession long term? Because think about it, right? Like you're not into this profession to make a difference in the lives of families like your family, right? And so like we need more clinicians like you. We have a ton of them, right? Everyone who's in this profession has like an amazing heart and is such a doer and a giver, right? But in order for us to stay in this profession long term and have that longevity, like burnout is our enemy. So whatever we can do to help make sure that we don't burn out Like we need to do that because there's so many people out there who depend on us. And if we burn out, we're not going to be there to help. Absolutely. Well, and I just, I remember before I even realized private practice was a possibility, I would literally sit in my car and have to mentally prep myself every single day to walk into the building. I remember sitting down with my husband saying, I don't think I'm cut out to be an SLP. I'm like, I hate this. And then looking back, I'm like, okay, no, I don't hate being an SLP. I love being an SLP. It was all of the other stuff that just bogged me down. I didn't have a moment for myself. My days, I was running crazy. My group sizes were so large that I wasn't able to really focus on any one student's individual needs. None of my kids were really able to make progress. And it was so frustrating to see because they're such incredible individuals, but really they would get such minimal time and then we'd have cancellations all the time because of meetings or I was being pulled to do this or that or, and it was just not conducive for progress and growth. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is that people then don't feel like they're making a difference, right? And like, that's just part of who we are at our core is like, all we want to do is help people, right? But so when we're not able to help people through no fault of our own, right? We've tried really hard (laughs) to make a difference, right? You're working in a system that's not set up for you or your clients to be successful. Like at some point, that just gets to be like too much, right? 
And so you can either mm-hmm. stay there and like keep trying and fighting and eventually kind of burn out or decide, you know what, I'm going to create my own system. I'm going to work for myself. I'm going to set my own schedule, leave time on Mondays and Fridays for, for self-care and help as many clients as I can Tuesday to Thursday so that I can stay in this profession long term, right? So what is your plan for the future, right? Like now you've got this awesome practice. You're working super hard a couple of days a week, but also having some time for yourself, you know, on the other days. So what's your plan for the future? So my plan is really almost feel like I'm getting close to that next phase where I'm ready to bring on some either contractors or employees because I went from last summer, I was seeing six clients who didn't qualify for extended school year services. Then the first week of school, I dropped down to one, had a massive panic attack. So I'm like, oh my God, all my friends are talking about their first paycheck from school. And I'm like, I've got nothing. And then two weeks later, I, they just started rolling in. And now I'm at 32 sessions a week. And I'm at the point where I'm starting to have to say no. And I am not someone that likes to say no. I feel awful about it. But as I had mentioned before, with the deaf advocacy, my son and I are working on opening up an advocacy resource center together. So it's like, I don't want to cut into my free time too much because that is my ultimate. I love being an SLP. Absolutely. It's one of my all-time most important things, but advocating for deaf individuals and supporting my son is like my number one. So making sure I have time for that is kind of where, kind of what I want to make sure I have. So that's kind of my long-winded answer, looking to hire, I think, in the near future so I can kind of pursue that deaf advocacy with my son. Yeah, because, I mean, you can only be in so many places at one time, right? There's only so many hours, right? And so unless you have, you know, time traveling abilities or, or whatever, right? You really, the way to kind of clone yourself in a, in a way is to hire, right? So when when people hire for their practices, they're able to offer more hours, therefore more sessions, serve more people without you having to do all of that, right? Because you have 32 sessions and you're trying to keep those that time for yourself and you're trying to help your son. Like there's no way that you can keep that up, right? But you've got a lot of people who are interested in your services. And I know that feeling of saying no and how how hard that is, right? So I totally agree with you. You sound like you really are getting to the point where you're looking to hire, right? Because people need to hire when they're either like saying no to people that would they otherwise want their services, right? Where they're basically like saying no to people, right? And also income. And then secondly, is really when they need more time, right? Like you need more time. So those are the two main reasons why people hire. And you've, you've checked both of those boxes. So I definitely <laughs> agree. It's time to think about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's exciting. It's terrifying, but in a good way. So, and I know with like your support, and your resources, I know I'll be able to figure it out. No problem. So I'm so appreciative of you. Oh, well, thank you. And, you know, because people have never done this before, right? Think about when you were, you know, in grad school, like you had never done any of this before, right? You didn't know. But like, that's the same thing about business stuff. Like people have no idea how to hire because they've never hired before, right? But that's like, one of the things that I'm really trying to do is to simplify this process for people so that they can know what to do, right? Like you follow this step and this step and that step. And like, that's how you hire somebody, right? 
And so, you know, I love this profession. I love the people in it. And I just want to make this process of private practice easier for people at all levels of the private practice journey so that we can do exactly what we've been talking about, like helping more people, right? But also helping our families too. So, you know, you've got some, you know, amazing goals and some, you know, different things that you want to be doing. And I definitely agree that hiring is going to be something that you need to do in order for you to, you know, continue with these, you know, passions of yours, including, you know, your son and advocacy and and also your own self-care, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, is there any other pieces of advice that you would give to our listeners who are either thinking about private practice, but they're not quite sure yet, or something kind of along those lines? So when I was going through this, I stumbled upon, I don't know if this is one of your recommended books or not, I can't remember, but it's Everything is Figure Outable by Marie Forleo. Yep. That book was such a game changer for me to the point that that phrase is my screen on my phone. So there's so many times that I have second-guessed myself in that I just use that mantra, everything is figure outable, and it has helped me to take those leaps of faith. So knowing that ultimately everything is figure outable, you will figure it out. And there's going to be missteps along the way, but that's okay because you'll recover. You'll be able to learn from it, grow from it. There's so many amazing people out there that can help you. But at the end of the day, you just have to do it. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself, right? Like, just like how when you were a young clinician and you had to figure out, right, how to do therapy, like same thing with business, right? You can figure out all of this stuff. And yes, it's easier and faster if you have, you know, someone like me or others to help you figure it out, right? But if you want to be able to do this, like, make sure you're doing it right so you you don't have to struggle, right? And you can really just kind of follow step-by-step plans to to figure it out. So if our listeners have like really enjoyed this conversation, which I'm sure that they have, and they want to either learn more about you or, you know, follow you on social media, those kind of things, where can people find you? So my website is olivespeechtherapy.org. And then I'm on Instagram at olive underscore speech underscore therapy. And those are probably the two easiest ways to reach out to me. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I greatly appreciate you and your time. Don't you just love Samantha? I love how she has created a private practice with balance in mind so that she has enough time for her family and honestly, herself too. SLPs and OTs are so giving, but when you give everything that you have to everyone all the time, you burn out. The new generation of SLPs and OTs do a wonderful job of building in time for self-care and making it a priority. And private practice makes this possible. If you would like to learn more about our programs and how we support amazing SLPs and OTs just like Samantha, please visit independentclinician.com. As always, thank you for listening and please tune in next week for another episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. Till then. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. 
Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.